Welcome to another episode of the CBA's ABCs of Bowhunting. Today, my guest is Fred Bohm, who you may be familiar with through Joe Cavanaugh's hunting story, but uh, Fred is quite an incredible hunter as well as an incredible capturer of hunting himself. His website, fredbohm.com, is totally worth a look. And if you're not the reading type, the Instagram is just as beautiful. Fred at Fred Bohm, B-O-H-M. Fred, how are you doing today, man? Good, Jake. Appreciate you reaching out and having me on. Yeah, I uh, was peripherally aware of you, and then both Joe and um, Henry Ferguson thought you would be a great fit for this. And man, just taking a look at you, not having met you, absolutely. Like it, you're my type of guy. I want to be you when I grow up, Fred. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that before. So uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. <laughs> So why don't you give us a little insight? What's your hunting history? Where are you from? How'd you end up in Colorado? And then we'll kind of talk about more recent stuff. Yeah, actually, my hunting history is, you know, a lot of like, you know, unlike yourself, I grew up with it. My father uh, uh, brought all of us kids up hunting, but I'm an East Coaster. I'm a New Jersey guy. Nice. So not too far from you. Yep. Yep. So we dealt probably, you know, with, with the same thing in Orange Army out there in the woods, uh, you know, just the madness of the East Coast and the population there. But uh, no, I, I grew up back East hunting deer, uh, upland, whatever, fishing, that, that, that traditional uh, upbringing in the outdoors, but that didn't last too long. Once I got into um, uh, high school, I actually turned a vegetarian for whatever reasons, rebellion reasons type sure. of thing. So I, um, but I always, I still went out hunting with my dad. I just didn't hunt at that point. And uh, when I got, I got real into um, rock climbing. So that's what brought me out West is after college, I went to uh, school, University of Delaware. And once I finished out there, me and some buddies just moved out West to Colorado as um, climbing bums. Honestly, we awesome. used, uh, used Boulder, Colorado as our central location and just traveled everywhere uh, at that point, you know, both within the country, out of the country, climbing anywhere we could just a bunch of dirt bags, to be honest with you. Um, but as what, you know, typically happens over time, uh, kids, kids help this, you know, that, that, that climbing was going to have to take a backseat to uh, responsibility. So <laughs> that kind of went the wayside after 15 years or so of that being my life and uh, hunting got back into it. This was some years back, uh, maybe about 10 years ago. I always get the timing may hear me on other podcasts and I'm like, Oh, it was 15 years ago or eight years. I don't, I don't remember exactly 10 years ago. Let's just say that is when I got really hardcore back into it. And that's kind of become my life since that besides family and work, but uh, that's yeah, awesome. For reference, what year was it that you came out here? When did you graduate college? Uh, that was 2000, 2002, the summer of oh, 2002. Wow. So you've got like 20 years plus of what Rocky mountain experience. That's a big deal. Oh, yeah. 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 <clears throat> That's incredible. I've only been out here since 2019, and I feel that every year I've almost doubled or tripled my strength and endurance. And after killing that archery elk this year, I was like, I need to continue to double or triple my strength or endurance to actually be able to really do this year in and year out. Um, I couldn't imagine how dialed you must be gear wise, knowledge wise, your Onyx map must be crazy in terms of you know that much experience out here. Um, that must inform how you choose what you participate in, whether it's hunting or otherwise too. hundred percent. And, you know, and I always joke with my wife that my, my Onyx pins are going to be willed to my children. It's uh, <laughs> without a doubt, but no, I mean, it, it started, 
you know, obviously not in the hunting round, but, you know, going out climbing and going to some backcountry areas there, you know, I've just always been in the camping and, and backcountry type of thing, you know, whether it was hunting or not. So it just led naturally into the hunting uh, and doing the backcountry side of things. It just kind of came natural. I had all these areas that I had explored for climbing that I'm like, man, these would be, you know, crazy good hunting spots. And they turned out to be that way. So, uh, yeah, I was just, I've always spent time in the woods in the backcountry. So, you know, it just kind of came natural, but you're absolutely right with that endurance thing. It's, I don't think I've ever been strong. And I got into mountain biking too, and, you know, did the Leadville 100. So it was really always the endurance side of things as well. But I'm not going to lie to you, pulling out an elk is 10 times harder than doing any of those races, any of those mountain biking experience. It's brutal. And it's, it's you know, it's a mind game of, depending on how deep you're in there, but pulling those animals out that, that far in it and the pain you go through doing that, it's a, uh, it's a different level for sure. It really is. And I'm noticing having got one September 2nd and got one, uh, October 15th, there's a difference in that too, man. I would much rather kill an elk in October. I'm hunting opening day of archery elk next year. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I quartered my elk, put it up in the tree. It took about three days by myself to get the whole thing out. And it was just easy going. It wasn't easy to do, you know, my knees and ankles wouldn't agree with easy, but just that idea of September, hot temperatures, spoiled meat, exhaustion, uh, electrolytes, like the whole thing is just a different ball game when that temps are, and that sun's bearing down on you, you know? No, hundred percent agree with that. And that's, that's kind of the curse of the bow hunter, right? Is that at least in Colorado, we spend a lot of time in the woods in, uh, in September and it could get brutal. I don't care what, you know, height you're at. Usually the nights are cool enough that it'll cool that meat down. But um, yeah, you're dealing with those daytime temperatures where, you know, it's t-shirt hunting and you're sweating through that. And uh, it's, it, it could be brutal without a doubt. Yeah. Um, when did you pick up archery? Was that back when you were a kid or was it mostly rifle when you were you were a kid at rifle and shotgun and then archery later in life it was archery i mean we could only in new jersey you could only hunt with the shotgun with slugs there was no uh no rifle hunting there so that was never an experience for me as a kid you know i'd, I'd plink with the 22 out back type of thing but that's about <laughs> it um so it was it was bow hunting like I, I got into that young and then when i started back up out west the first year i did rifle because i was just trying to get my my feet underneath me but then i took a couple animals and i did it all within I don't know, right about 60 yards. And I'm like, well, why don't I just start shooting a bow? I mean, if I'm going to, you know, luck out and get this close, I might as well get some better seasons out of it. So the following season, I got right into archery. And then that, that's that been about eight, 10 years, that you know, with the archery side of things. Um, so got into it pretty quick and it just became obsessed with it. There's something about it's quieter. Um, you're not hearing boom, boom. I mean, you could, you could be mm -hmm. hunting. 500 yards from another guy and never know he's there. So you feel like at least that you have the woods to yourself. A hundred percent. hunting. So it, you know, I kind of fell in love with that and the challenge of it and having to get close into the animals. Uh, something about that was kind of special to me. So I just, I fell in love with that and really, I mean, I've done a couple of cow hunts here and there with a rifle with some buddies, but it's, it's 95% at least, um, at least for big game, it's, it's with a bow. That's awesome. I'm totally with you with that pursuit. The cow I got this year, I shoot a 300 Weatherby mag and it was the last minute of last light on opening day. And looking through my scope, I see two cows. I let the one move. I pull the trigger. Muzzle break was so bright that after that, it just seemed like it was pitch blackout. Next morning I go recover this thing. Uh, it was 45 yards away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my thing's zeroed at 300 yards. I was like, oh, I guess I hit it a little high. 
Yeah, yeah. No, that's odd. I shoot the same exact rifle, the Weatherby Mag, the 300. Yeah, it's it's a cannon, and it's great. I'm very confident in it. I feel like I could take it anywhere in the country. I know I might not shoot a white-tailed deer in Florida with it, but other than that, pretty universal. However, yeah. I'm with you with the archery. The way I kind of look at it is when I'm in the woods with a shot with a rifle, I am um, kind of a foreigner in there trying to do something. Whereas with I'm in there with a bow, I am a part of that ecosystem. Every footstep matters to me. Every sound I hear matters to me. Not that it doesn't when I'm rifle hunting, but if I don't have to close the distance from 300 yards to 30 yards, then we're playing a different game. Well, that's it. And where a rifle hunt, like where the rifle hunt ends, a lot of time you're just starting with the bow hunt. You know what I, I mean? Love you, that. Get, you get within that 300 yards. And I mean, some guys way further than that, but you know, that's where I, I'm comfortable at. Say that 300 yards with a bow. I mean, you're just starting. You're, you're mm-hmm. you know, 300 yards, your wind may not matter terribly much with a rifle, but boy, you know, you, you're thinking of a lot more things when you got a bow in your hand and you're trying to close that distance, be within 60. Um, it's a different game, it's a totally different type of hunt. A hundred percent. I find it's similar to spearfishing. I bring this up a lot on the podcast, but I've been spearfishing for about a decade now. I'm probably a better bow hunter, but I recognize that there is no room for extra thought. There is no room for anything other than the task at hand or else it's not going to go well. Um, Maybe not go well, but it's not going to get executed the way you think it will. And that's one thing that I really love about, you know, you do the photography. We all have on X, so it's hard to not have digital devices with you when you're in the backcountry. Sometimes it's safety, the Garmin inReach, but that same time, that detachment of man. I'll give you a, a little example, and then I want to hear about your past season <clears throat> during uh, Rifle Elk, Rifle One this year out in Colorado. I woke up to five bulls bugling around me, uh, like within a hundred yards all morning long, it was like a national geographic scene. There was just bulls going and going and going. I had to meet somebody at a rendezvous point who didn't have a Garmin inReach. So I did a big loop in the morning, got back to my camp. And I was at my camp. I got information that I didn't need to meet this guy. Another friend met up with him and to keep hunting. And I was just standing over this water hole for about two hours. And I thought I was going crazy because I was hearing that distant elk bugle, that little shh, right? Like, you know, over a ridgeline or two. And it wasn't until I returned to society and I wasn't hearing that where I was like, oh, I was so dialed in. My ears were so dialed in that I could hear distant elk all day long. It was, it's just, you know, an experience you don't get if you're not immersed in it fully. Sure. And it takes time when you're in there too. You know, the first day in is totally different than the fifth day in, Mm -hmm. you know, it takes time to kind of decompress, to get out of uh, your everyday life. Um, You know, and like you said, there's, there's still digital products in there with us. And I guess that's just inevitable these days. Uh, But yeah, you know, if you can minimize that and, and just really get in tune with, with what's around you. I mean, that's a real reason we're in there to begin with is kind of, I think for a lot of us is to detach and, you know, get back to the old ways of doing things. But it's amazing that difference between that first day and the fifth day and how much more you are in tune and how much more, how much better of a hunter I feel in that fifth day. And this happens every year because you you know, you get called up work, this, that, and then all of a sudden September rolls around and you're like, clumsy you notice yourself you know you're walking through there like an elephant and you're just slamming into things and you're doing you're making the same mistakes you made last year in the beginning and it's maybe it's just because i'm a slow learner and i whatever but every year i make those mistakes but you know you get that fifth day in there and you really start getting in tune with things it's a hundred percent 
I also find that throughout the season, it's easier for me to tap into that feeling in October and November because I've been tapping into it since, you know, pronghorn in August. Um, And also this year or 2022 was the first time I did a pronghorn hunt. I didn't get one, but having a few hunting days prior to entering the elk woods really put me in a different mindset because I wasn't going to be that clunky guy on day one. I already had some stealthy mindset. Um, So I don't know how much of a factor that it was, but I do think you don't want to knock off the rust on the best opportunity you have, which is opening day of archery elk, in my opinion. I guess exactly. And, and that's why I agree with you. I love that pronghorn hunt. And I, I do that pretty much every year, unless another tag interferes with it. But that OTC pronghorn horn hunt in uh, Colorado is spectacular. You know, just to get out there, like you said, it, I don't even care about the success of it, but it is get a bunch of stalks. In, and that's the beauty about, you know, pronghorn horn as well. You see a ton of them. Mm-hmm. So now if you're going to get close to them, that's a totally different story. But yeah, I was going to say, you see them from about 700 yards. Yeah, but you get opportunities to chase animals. <laughs> and I think that's that's true. You can knock the rust off that way. And then by the time you start getting into the rut of, uh, you know, the, the elk season, it's uh, you're, in, you're you're tuned in at that point. Yeah, it's great. So how was this past season for you? I know you're heading down to do some coos hunting coming up, but before we get into that, how was this past year, Colorado, other states? How'd you feel about it? What happened? Awesome. I mean, so I got a call from, as as you had talked with Joe Cavanaugh, so people know that he had a uh, um, a sheep hunt. And Joe helped me. I had a, a sheep hunt as well, same unit in 2020. And Joe, I mean, he just threw tons of time in between scouting and you know, on and on and actually on the hunt with me. So his turn came this season and I jumped up there to give him a handle. And that's, we started that off on August 1st, you know, time in the mountains right there. Um, we put a bunch of days in and, uh, you know, he was successful on it. it was, was freaking awesome to be able to see a you know, good buddy, be able to put down a nice, nice Ram. So that's how it started off. But I also had a couple of really good tags in my pocket. So I was kind of nervous as well. I'm like, Oh, we should, you know, should be spending some time, uh, scouting so you know right after i was done helping joe i jumped and i had a uh, a mountain goat tag archery mountain goat and i had a really good tag and a really good unit this year uh wow is that your first goat in colorado oh yeah yeah yep it took i I forget the points i had i think like nine points all together good for you man yeah lucked out i mean i know a lot of guys you know don't draw for quite some time after that but yeah got that tag um put some a good bit of time in scouting so I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to try to get that done earlier in the the, the season so I could spend a ton of time in the out elk hunting and lucked out the second day in um and Joe and and Braden were in that same unit hunting and uh, they they saw uh pretty decent billy by the time I was able to get in there they had one kind of picked out for me which was awesome with those guys and exactly what I was looking for, um, blew the stock the first day, got a little bit too, little bit too ambitious on the thing, thought I knew where he was and totally wasn't paying attention, just kind of walked in on him. He blew out and I'm like, oh, he's out of country. So <sighs> trying to make plans for the next day and, you know, kind of bummed out on myself about that one. But I'm like, you know, what the hell? Let's 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 take a look at, you know, the, the next morning, at least take a peek, see if he came back. And for whatever reason, the hunting gods were good to me that that morning. And uh, he was right back where he was. I learned wow. my lesson well, you know, got a real good eye and, and you know, a bunch of different um, points that I reference points on there that I could use once I once I hiked up there um, and managed to slowly, slowly go in on him, sat 33 yards from him. Wow. On this cliff line for, oh, I don't know, 45 minutes or so until he would stand up. I, I mean, I just saw the 
the hair, the white hairs on his back floating in the air a little bit with the wind. And I just sat there and sat there and finally stood up and uh, was able to put an arrow into him at 30. Incredible. Congrats. I'm looking at pictures of it now. This thing is beautiful. So this was the same unit as Joe's bighorn sheep. No, no, it was a totally different unit. Oh. And I don't want to give anything away because I no, know he wants no. that for other things as well. So Fair uh, enough. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah I don't want to um, get too into it. You just mentioned that they were in that same area scouting. So I didn't know if that was why. Yeah, no, scouting for a different animal. Uh, gotcha. Uh, the, so the sheep, that was that was well and done. Um, but this, you know, I, I got him just a couple of days. I think it was, ended up being, oh, I forget the date on it, but it was it was early in the season, which gave me plenty of time then to jump in the elk unit. That is so sweet. So how did uh, your elk hunting go? Good. It was it was something I've never experienced before because I've only really ever hunted uh, Colorado OTC. Mm-hmm. And I jumped up to Wyoming and did their general tag. And I got a uh, uh, Missouri Breaks tag Ooh. last year, which was awesome, too. And that was the best experience I've ever had until this until I did this this hunt this year. And yeah, I was, you know, I called home about halfway through it to my wife. I'm like, if I shoot a cow on the final day, but get this experience throughout the season, complete success. It was wild. I mean, it was nonstop bugling, rut fest almost every day. I, I just sat dumbfounded half the time. And I'm like, you know, I had my phone out and I'm recording this. I'm like, I'm never going to experience this again. I got to record this so I can look back years from now and show my kids and be like, mm-hmm. This is what it used to be like. This is what grandpa used to, you know, got to experience one day, but it was, it was super cool. So, you know, I was, I got a great opportunity to learn a lot more with my calling, um, you know, pulled in a bunch of elk, got to pass on a bunch, really was trying to look for something special, but yeah, day before the closer, I, um, I, I said, you know, is I got to bring meat home. I can't be gone this, this long away from home and not bring home meat. So, uh, Took a yeah, a, a decent bull, something I'm completely happy with. Not a yeah. monster by any means, but man, I, I I couldn't be happier being able to spend that much time in that unit and and all the things I learned at that from that hunt. So this was a limited draw in Colorado this year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. How yeah. many points did you use? Uh, eight. Eight. Now. I keep hearing about this, like no man's land. I don't know if it's five points to eight points or whatever, but I'm curious. Was this like? a stretch or was it a guaranteed thing? Was this a unit you were super like, I want to hunt this exact spot and I can't wait to draw it. How did you approach this? Cause what I I've been, scouted sorry, some one, outlying areas years back and I walked through this unit and people are going to be able to figure out which one this is, <laughs> but I just won't announce it. So I don't piss yeah. anybody off. But, um, I had walked through this unit. I'm like, this is it. Like I, I saw so many elk in there and I'm like, I got to hunt this. And I figured out the points. And of course, of course there was point creep. Um, so when I got it with eight points, gosh, I think there was only a 7% chance or something with eight points. Wow. I mean, there was only me and maybe was one or two other people that got it with eight points. Great. So super, super lucky again. You know, I I really lucked out this year. Um, and then yes, there is this no man's land because I'm not going to do that again. What I'm figuring now is like, that was where I didn't know what I wanted to do with my points. And I was getting towards six points. And I'm like, well, you might as well just wait a couple more years. Mm-hmm. But I think at this point, at this point in time, I'm just going to do the ones that are, you know, if I could find stuff around that two, three mark somewhere in there, just to get out of the OTC units, get into a draw unit. It may, it's definitely not going to be as epic as this unit, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think it'll be the smarter way of going about it. 
I love that. That's kind of going to be my approach as well as I'm building points until I know what to do with them, gaining hunting skills. I keep telling people I've got an elk from this unit, so I'm going to go to another unit. Everybody says, go back to that same unit, yeah, keep hunting yeah. there. <laughs> like You figured it out. Don't leave elk to go find elk. Um, but yeah, that same idea is like after this first point burn, every two or three years, get away from the masses and and just have a little bit more of that hunting experience where you're not bumping into Tom, Dick and Harry every step you take. Yeah. And you know, I think that is a good approach. You know, it's, it's, and especially if you're applying for other states, you could end up rotating states and getting a draw unit. You know, if you're doing Wyoming and Montana and Arizona and Utah and on and on, you could really mm-hmm. start getting into draw units every year. You know, once, once you get a, a good base amount of points, I think it's a pretty good way of doing it. I see you recently got into saddle hunting and I want to talk about that, but I'm curious, do you have a a yearly approach? For example, elk was my huge focus since I've kind of got into archery hunting and now I've got an elk and I'm going to keep hunting elk, but I want to add something new to the repertoire. So what I've decided is I want to do a a bunch of whitetail hunting, Nebraska, Eastern Plains. I got some of my girlfriend's families up in Montana and I hunt New York and with a saddle, that's a great way for me to one, have my elk season and still hunt into, you know, mid, late November. I'm curious with you, do you like each year say, I want to take on this new challenge or focus on this type of hunt. You look like a generalist from your Instagram page. So I'm curious how you like stay psyched, how you stay focused, how you stay um, looking forward. I mean, I'll hunt anything, anything the state allow me to hunt, I'll hunt it. I, I'm a big upland hunter as well. So, you know, I do that in between my big game hunts. I keep busy pretty much from, Oh man, I'd say, you know, mid-August, if I'm getting on a pronghorn tag all the way till, you know, springtime, I mean, you could do turkey, you could jump out and do bear in different states. So a full six months out of the year, I'm, I'm, I'm hunting pretty hard. That's Uh, great. So no, no, I I put in for every species I can and, you know, whatever good tags look like they're going to pop up that year, I'll, I'll concentrate on that. But man, I'll hunt mule deer, I'll hunt whitetail, pronghorn, elk any upland birds you'll throw at me. So it, no, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, do you utilize some service to help figure out what is going on where, uh, like a, um, go hunt or something like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm on go hunt. I've used uh hunting fool as well. Cause the magazines kind of coming in, kind of keep me on, um, keep me on track with the deadlines and whatnot. Cause I know when, when that magazine comes in from hunting fool that month, I just look at that. I'm like, Oh shoot. I got to make sure I do these tags. Whereas, I guess you could set uh, set alarms and stuff like that for um, a go hunt, but mm-hmm. I, I use a combination of the two of those just to make sure I'm, I'm I'm getting my tags in on time and which ones are approaching. So yeah, yeah, I use those services. That's great. And um, so, tell me a little bit about your venture into saddle hunting. I'm starting to build out my kit. I'm kind of doing it a piecemeal way. But I was reading on your website that you like because you like that run and gun style of hunting. As opposed to like, I got my soup and my tree stand super comfy and we're going to take some naps today. It's more of a kind of active type of tree stand hunting, if you will. Um, yeah. I'm curious what your experience has been. How do you feel about the equipment you were using? Um, just kind of a general overview and, and maybe a little story about your hunt. Totally. Since, since I'm a public land hunter, I think the saddles has it, been pretty revolutionary. If I had a nice piece of you know, private land that I hunted the same spots every year, you could bet I'd have a tree stand in there. There are a lot I'd more. I'd have a tree house if I had that. Friend. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be a full, <laughs> right, full little mansion in a tree. But 
you know, it, the ability to be able to just throw something in a backpack, it takes up very little room. It's not bulky like the tree stand. I'm always figuring, do I sling it over my shoulder? Am I attaching it to a backpack? It's just, it's it's a pain in the butt, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with, with the saddle, I throw that in my backpack. I got some really light sticks that I use and I could just go explore around. Like I, I've been doing that down here in Arizona is going and treating it a good bit different. I'm just finishing an article out today on saddle hunting for coos deer. Uh, cause they, you know, they are a whitetail, so they do act a good bit like a whitetail, but just mm-hmm. honestly roaming the mountains, getting miles back in there, looking for scrapes and being able to just throw up a saddle there, uh, and, and be able to hunt that and see if anything's about where I would never do that with the stand, you know, to, to mm-hmm. hike that far in, it would just be, but that being said, once I get an area pretty well determined and if it's not too far off the road, there's times I will switch that over to a, a stand just because it is more comfortable. I feel like you move less in a stand because you are more comfortable and you're not shifting positions. And, you know, so there is a lot of times I still, I still do use that stand, but for a public land hunter and you don't know where you're going to hunt, you don't know if another guy's in that area and then you got to bounce and go hit, find a different tree, a good distance away. I, 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 I love the saddle hunting for that, to be honest with you. Do you use the one stick method? Do you use carry multiple sticks with you? No, I carry multiple sticks. And if I'm in an area with a lot of cedars, which, you know, that could be Kansas at times, definitely down here in uh, Arizona, you know, sometimes I may just carry one stick in there to, to go in between limbs because so we shit on those trees. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, otherwise, if I'm doing something where, you know, I'm not sure what I'm getting to, I usually take about four sticks and, and really space them as best I can. Yeah, I am trying to figure out how to like combine being a backcountry hunter with having a saddle on me. And so one thing is obviously lightweight, right? You need to be able to have equipment that you can lug around and it not wear you out. Um, One thing I've looked into is that one stick method and going beyond the one stick method, I've seen guys use a tree strap and then climbing aiders, like a nylon webbing. and. And basically just climb with that. It's a little bit more shimmying. I wonder if the noise is any different, but it does seem like you could cut out, you know, a pound, two, three pounds, depending on how much you're initially coming in with. Yeah. I think if it's something like, say you're taking it out on an elk hunt and you're, you're finding wallows way out there, or even that, you know, you're, you're um, backpack hunting and mm-hmm. taking a saddle in with you. I mean, that could be an option at that point. I would, yeah, I would try to figure something out that not takes sticks in at all. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I like- can imagine the same way those guys, you know, climb telephone poles type of thing. And you're not, you're not going to want the spikes probably. I don't know if that's going to. I've looked into all of this stuff. I've like, oh, yeah, yeah, all the and that might be a, a, a pretty good option, but um, I haven't played with that yet. I haven't really taken a, like for overnight hunts. Yeah. But, you know, who knows in the future? It's uh, it certainly could be an option. It's just always so interesting when you come across uh, wallow, but it's in like a canyon or in a kind of steep area. It's like, I can't be in, I can't be within archery range without being detectable unless I get, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet out of the way. Um, but we'll see. I hope I can tell you a year from now that I'm successful with my weird inquiries and, and thoughts. <laughs> the other thing yeah, though, no, is- it's, it, it'd be, uh, I'd be curious to hear. And I agree, you know, sometimes building a blind is just not going to cut it. Like getting that little bit of height up, maybe getting your, your, your scent out of there a little bit better. And, you know, it's not the whitetail woods of the Midwest where the, the deer are walking around looking up in trees, you know, these mm-hmm. guys aren't expecting you up there. So it's kind of a new thing. Yeah. So we'll see if I bring it into the elk world, but I um, am excited about Eastern Plains um, 
Whitetail, I'm excited about Nebraska. I drove back to New York from Colorado this year and basically I shouldn't give this all up, but like on I-80, there is a ton of public hunting spots like on the river bottoms over in Nebraska. So I was going to look into some of that. And it's just like, you know what? This is a little less. I have a summit climber um, and that's a super comfortable climbing stand, but it's bulky and it's loud and it's just cumbersome. So just to have something that isn't sticking out of the back of my truck, but kind of can be tucked away is uh, there's an appeal there. Totally. Totally. So you're down in Arizona. You're hunting coos deer now. I am. I am. Yeah, we we live down here. We actually moved not too long back down to Arizona full time. We still have a place in Colorado, so I spend a lot of time there. Gotcha. Um, hunting, but yeah, yeah. I just got a coos uh, on. What was it the twenty seventh? Nice. Congrats. Yeah, and that was the first time I ever tried from a um a, a you know from a stand from a saddle, and it worked out great. He, you know, I found a couple couple scrape lines and you know, they're not quite into the rut yet, but usually that, that early, just before the rut, they're, they're real curious. They are checking their old scrapes. Um, you know, these ones obviously from last year because they haven't really been freshly scraping as at this point. So I, I sat up on a tree, didn't see much for a couple of days and gave it a little bit of a breather while I had family here for, for Christmas, um, jumped out and rattled this one in about a half hour before, before, uh, last light, you know, right about sunset. And boy, he came in and he was, he was awfully curious and gave me an 11 yard shot, a real good deer for, um, you know, for what I had been seeing. So I was super pleased with them. And the way Arizona works is now it's, it's a calendar year. So you get one deer a year. So I'm right back at it. Um, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was out yesterday scouting a bit more and I'll be a bit more picky because the beauty, the beauty of Arizona is you got the January season and then it comes back in in August into September, about half the month of August and September, something like that. And then again in December. So you get one deer. So in January, you could be real picky. You could just, you know, if you're not seeing what you want, you got the rest of the year to try to get something. So I'm just That's kind of cool. out there looking for that special deer right now. And um, so and you might not tag as well. use this tag until next December, but you're yeah. looking. Ah. Exactly. Exactly. So that's how Arizona runs it as opposed, you know, Colorado, you got your, your fall season and that's it. So there's, it's, there's a couple, couple different seasons, which is cool because then, you know, that, that August into September hunt, you could get them in velvet. Uh, December's a little bit tougher because they, they got pounded by the uh, the rifle hunters at that point, but uh, yeah. you can still, you know, still be successful. So it's, yeah, it's neat. And then I got a buddy coming down and his girlfriend from uh, Colorado and they're going to come down and it'll be her first her first archery hunt, which is going to be super cool. So we got, you know, she got a javelina tag. They're a bit, a lot easier than say chasing a coos deer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So hopefully we'll get, we'll get her something when they, when they come on down later on this week. That is awesome, man. Um, In terms of like hunting, you've been on some pretty awesome hunts. I'm curious if you have a dream hunt, you got your eye on a Colorado Shiris moose or a a, a mountain lion or, you know, uh, something that I'm unaware of. I mean, a moose tag is would always be nice. There's no, <laughs> you have to hunt moose. So, but I mean, otherwise it's, it's any, again, anything in Colorado, but traveling. I love the traveling hunt. Yeah. So I had been to New Zealand and really, uh, yeah. And I'd love to get back there. Uh, Hawaii. I've hunted a couple of times. We would stay on the, the big Island, go there. Luckily I, I could work from deer. No, no. So the big Island only has sheep, uh, sheep, pig and goat. Okay. 
on that island. I think somebody tried to sneak axis deer on there years back, but they took care of that in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, that, those things spread like wildfire. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So no, but hunt, even just hunting those three, it was, it's a ton of fun and you could hunt them pretty much year round. There's different regulations on each little, little GMU is like some are just weekends and some mm-hmm. are, you know, weekdays on and on, but yeah, you pretty much hunt there year round. And what were you going for in New Zealand? New Zealand for tar, chamois and uh, red stag, but just came back with a couple tar. Yeah. Yeah. And New Zealand's interesting because those are all invasive, right? So they're uh, you exactly. hunt like year round. Yeah. I think the only native mammal there is some kind of bat, if I'm not wow. mistaken. So everything else, yeah, it's it's year round. Um, the crazy part about New Zealand is getting to the areas to hunt. You can hunt right off the road for sure, but they don't have the infrastructure like we do. So they treat helicopters like we treat ATVs. Wow. Some of these areas are what what they designate as wilderness areas, and they don't allow helicopters in there except for certain times of the year to get hunters in there. So that's the only time there's a draw system is just to be able to get in there in a helicopter. But otherwise, you could hike in there. It may take you two weeks to get into the spot. But yeah, it's it's unreal. I mean, it's cool. A target rich environment, to say the least. But it is a brutal, you know, beautiful mountains there. uh, yeah, I got to get back there. That's awesome. Any major, I mean, obviously we still have to go through draws and, and whatnot, but anything specific you're looking forward to in the year coming up? Well, hopefully an Arizona tag. I mean, I've, I've been building points down here for, for quite some time. And now that I'm you know considered a resident, hopefully I could draw something decent with eight or nine points. We'll see. Talking about uh, elk? Yeah, for elk. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and you maybe put in for the strip here too. That's that's far off, but it's a bonus point system down here. So there's always a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a strict preference point. So there's your 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 name's in the hat at that point at least. So yeah, I'll put in for a couple for that. But um, you know, it might be a Wyoming year as well for elk, and we'll we'll see what happens with Colorado. But now that I'm a non-resident there, it's going to get a little bit tougher. Yeah. So. Well, that's the the thing that's interesting is like looking at hunts, you know, you go hunt elk in a, in another state, you're looking at 800, a thousand bucks, you hunt deer in another state, maybe two, three, 400 bucks. And so in terms of like planning out what you can do and what you can afford and what makes sense, there is some like calculus there as to, well, should I try to get one Utah elk tag or should I go on three whitetail hunts somewhere else in the world? And, um, you know, what do I have the time for? And what do I have the time to like scout for? Because my biggest thing, when I moved out to Colorado, I didn't hunt elk my first year because I was like, I don't need to pay $700 to walk around the woods, not knowing what I'm doing. I can walk around the woods, not knowing what I'm doing anyway. Totally. So there's this level of like gaining information. Do you find as, you know, 10 years of archery hunting, you're better able to go into an unknown place without having been there before, maybe only e-scouted and find some animals or find some success? Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, and I think that's, you know, what what attracts me to a lot of these hunters that are these total, you know, incredible hunters where they can go into any state, never hunted it before, but they know what to look for. And I feel like I'm getting closer to doing that. But that, man, I think that takes decades and decades and decades. But of course, you know, I'm better at it now than I was, you know, the first year where I'd walk into a whitetail woods and I'm like, hold on, what's, you know... (laughs) where am I looking for again? And what are these animals doing at this time of year? So yeah, I think it's, it's getting, it's getting better as the years go on. I'm getting better as the years go on. Um, you know, but there's, you know, to your point of finding which tags you want to go for, there's only so much rut in the year, right? Mm -hmm. You got September for elk. I mean, August into September as well for, for pronghorn, 
you know, whitetail, you're in November, then down here uh, for coos deer, that's getting towards January. So there's only so much you really do have to plan which places you want to hunt according to the preference points that you do have, what you think the best percentage chance is that year to hunt. Do you want to hold off? You know, so yeah, there is a lot going into that. I'm kind of going over, I have a little bit of a spreadsheet where I'm like, okay, here's the percentages of these different areas. Which one do I go for that year? Because you could end up stacking two phenomenal hunts on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a way to get those, those points back with certain States, you know, that's, 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 a, that's a rough thing to have is to be able you know, to hunt two phenomenal hunts and stack them in the same year. And you only got so much rut. So yeah, yeah. you kind of start figuring those as, as you're, uh, as you're applying to a bunch of different States. <clears throat> have you always been into photography or did that come later in your hunting uh, career? I've always been into it, but just not as passionate about, about it as I am now. I started back, gosh, when I went to like the end of high school, I was able to take some, at the beginning of a college, was able to take some um, photography classes where we actually developed film and it was all black and white and, you know, and, and processed it, um, did all that. So I, I was into it then, but just not as much. And mm-hmm. when I was in climbing, we did a bit of videos with that and, uh, and, and, I kind of kept up with it, but I really, really got passionate about it when I got back into hunting because it's just so it lends itself so well to hunting. You're up during the golden hours, you're up early in the morning and you can get some beautiful photography with the sunrises, the sunsets. It does compete a little bit for glassing time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're taking pictures. You're like, oh, I should probably be glassing right now and not snapping <laughs> those. But you know, for the most part, then midday, it gets uh, a good bit slower. You may not be hunting as much and, you know, you can jump out, jump around, get some good photos. So yeah, it it really I got a lot more passionate about it once uh, once I got back into hunting. Did the writing come along with that, or did you say, you know what, I should start telling the verbal story behind these photos? You know, that was an interesting one. I had only one purpose behind the writing. I my father passed away when I was pretty young. He was not that young; he was in my early twenties. But it was one of those things. I wish I knew more about his his experiences in the wood of, woods. Of course, I went out hunting with him, and, and I had those experiences. But what did he do when he was younger? So when I started having kids, um, I did it exactly for that purpose. You know, I put it online because it's it's a great way to kind of put it in stone, almost. You know, where they could kind of look back and read these stories. And honestly, for me, because a lot of the times time will will will, will you know kind of. Uh, get rid of the, the the terrible times you had out there. You forget about the the misery you went through. So if I can write about a story right afterwards and talk about that misery, talk about it wasn't this phenomenal hunt. It sucked during the time. Now looking at it in hindsight afterwards, it might be, you know, this awesome thing, but during it, you know, the, the complete suck that you went through, you know, I wanted to kind of encapsulate that as well. So, you know, that's why I kind of started the writing and um, that's still why I do it now. There's no other purpose behind it. I really like that. I'm kind of motivated in the same way. I don't have kids yet and I'm not as diligent about capturing everything as I could be, but I had two thoughts. One is like, I don't trust Instagram to keep my page forever or live or whatever. So I need to start taking these photos that I'm creating and documenting them in a place where I can still point to if Instagram goes away or whatever else goes away. But you're absolutely right about the freshness of the memory of the hunt. I do a lot of selfie videos while I'm hunting. I actually put together like a 15, 20 minute video of my elk hunt this year and got everything other than the actual shot on camera, which is what people want to tune into. But for me, uh, the moment, the feeling, the remembering of making choices and decisions and going left instead of right or whatever, it's all there. 
However, if I were to write you an article about it today, it wouldn't have nearly that level of granularity. It wouldn't have nearly that level of, I still smell it in my nostrils type of thing. No, absolutely. And, and I think that is a, you know, it's a key thing. It's, it's a good thing. I mean, the human, human brain does that for some reason that you forget misery so easily, but it's also a great thing to capture that years later, say you're going through another tough hunt or something like that. You're like, okay, that one wasn't easy either, but I was successful, you know, in some way on that hunt, you know, you can kind of look back at that for motivation as well at times. Absolutely. And one thing I just started doing as Christmas gifts this year was I use Android, I have Google Photos, and you can so easily create photo albums, print pictures, print canvas pictures, but also print books. And so one thing I'm thinking about is maybe every year to put together a little photo book with the story, and it's an actual Jake 2022 hunting. And then just, you know, for 50, 70 bucks a year, I can always create this physical hard copy of something. Um, cause you know, who knows what's going to happen with the internet or my Google drive account or whatever, you know, I want to pass on all of this information to my potential future children. However, I'm not going through my dad's filing cabinet and being like, what did you do in 1969? <laughs> so exactly. Yeah, no. And I think that, that, that coffee book style is a great idea. Actually, my wife did that for me a couple years back. She took it without me knowing, she took a bunch of, um, bunch of stuff off my blog and then had that printed out into a physical form. And it's cool. I haven't done it since and I really need to, but it is neat having that physical thing there. And you could kind of show your kids because a lot of times if it's on the screen, like, and it's not jumping around and flashy, my kids could care less right now. They're young right. enough, or, but they see that book and you're sitting around and they kind of take a look at it. I don't know. I think it's kind of neat just to have that physical form, something in your hand. No, I'm with you, man. <clears throat> so I see your, uh, I don't know if it's your company or you're involved with it, Sage and Breaker. Yeah, I own the company. Yep, yep. That's cool. How did that come to be? Well, it came as a side project. Um, back in 2015, I was a motion designer for years. So I was, uh, you know, did motion graphics, uh, video editing, that type of thing. So at that point, my my world was the uh, ad agency world. And it was, um, Lord, the hours were just insanity. And, you know, we were about to have our first our first child. And my wife, she's like, you know, Holy smokes, you're spending so much time at the ad agency. They want you there, you know, 12 hours a day. They want you there weekends. And then in the evening, you're you're working on Sage and Breaker, which, you know, that's something I just start on the side because I love that industry, you know, just being um, I don't know. There's so many, there's so many memories attached to firearms, you know, whether it be my grandfather's, you know, 22 Magnum that I remember shooting groundhogs with them on his farm to, you know, the shotguns I went out and hunted with my dad. There's memories attached. My bows, I have no memories attached to it. I could buy a new bow every year. It's it's a weapon. It's mm-hmm. for me to get out in the woods, but actual firearms, like it has memories attached to them. So it was just, whether I knew it or not at the time, it was something I wanted to protect, to protect those sure. legacies. And I don't think that was the initial thought, but now that I look back at it at the time, I think that's where my brain was going with it. So I started that company. I saw a little gap in the, in the market that we could do a higher end product that would last as long as the firearms could get passed down with the firearms. So that's where I created it um, back in 2015. And yeah, I was doing both. And my wife was like, you're never going to see your kids. You know, you're never going to see your son. So make a choice, which one you want to do. And we had just bought a house. The baby was due. And she's like, quit your, quit your full-time job. You hate it. And I'm like, oh, like all the chance, like all those things together. And I'm like, the hell with it. Let's just do it. Wow. So went full-time with it. And uh, yeah, really haven't looked back since. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah, the Sage and Breaker Instagram page is also absolutely beautiful. It highlights your products, but it does kind of give that timeless feel about, um, you know, this isn't just this season's toy. Yeah, and that's you know, the, the whole thought process behind starting that company was that is to have something like our gun mats. That is something you're going to pass down. Those things just they, they won't die. It's that it's wax canvas, so it's really rugged. We're using crazy horse leather, which is ages really cool with time, you know, and wool on it. So we're doing gun cases now as well to protect the firearms. You know, just kind of growing that, but with always with that same mentality of just giving a person, you know, giving the people a product that's going to last them forever. That's awesome, man. Well, I got one more prompt for you. Actually, you can choose of these three lines of inquiry. I like to ask people if they had like a sketchy situation out hunting that they remember, whether it was as far as having to press the SOS button on the inReach or something just a little more harrowing, um, or tell me about a memorable hunt or any giant lessons learned that you've taken away just from your hunting experience. I could probably put all three of those into one. Okay. <laughs> there is, and I hope my wife doesn't listen to this because I don't think I ever told her this story. This was in 2020, that sheep hunt I had told you about. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I wore out my friends. I was, they, they had been in the woods with me forever and I was just down the last couple of days. So I was in there solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 gosh, I think it was two days before the end of the season. And I see these two rams laying out there. And I mean, they're in the open and there was only one way to get at them. And it was through this cliff band. And it was one of those, it, it was it was wet enough going down the cliff, like it had rain, you know, the typical storms you get in the Colorado mountains, they were wet. And I was getting, I started going down these cliff bands and I kept looking back and I'm like, this better be good. There better be a way off of this thing because there's no way you're going back up it. And I, and I gotta be honest, I'm not, scared of height, you know, with the rock climbing background, I feel pretty sure. comfortable in the cliffs and, you know, free soloing a little bit, but I had a backpack on full backpack, my bow, you know, the full deal and I'm going down and it's getting worse and it's getting oh. worse, but this was the only approach I could use to be able to get in there, you know, without them seeing me. And at this point I was committed. There was no turning back. And I have never gotten closer to pushing that S. And I'm like, but what is, you know, what is going to go on if I push this button? My wife's going to lose her mind. You know, I'm going to have a helicopter in here pulling me out of this place. And for a situation, I'm putting other people in danger for a stupid move on my part. So I just kept going. And eventually what it came down to, there was about a 30 foot cliff. I threw my backpack off this cliff down. And it was, I don't know if you know what chimneying is, but it's, it's a wide you know, something that's going to be almost where you could get your body into, but not really. And it was mm-hmm. totally vertical. I had to wedge my bow in there and then just wedge my arms, chicken wing my arms into this thing, down climb it. And I, yeesh, there was time. To work Fred. Like this, and the lesson learned is don't be stupid. I mean, if it, <laughs> what, what's it free? And, that, and, and I missed the Ram anyway. So, you know, what? <laughs> it's like, it was not worth it. It's not worth your life over, you know, some animal. But in the moment, you could get so caught up with success and you you see your one chance left and you go for it. And it was dumb. It was a dumb move. And I I mean, I, I had that in reach in my hand multiple times. Wow. 
For those who haven't listened yet, one of our first episodes was with one of the founders of CBA, Marv Klinky, and he told a very similar story, except his wife was with him. I think they're on a mountain goat hunt, and he kind of got that tunnel vision, and they went up and over a ridge, and then the only way they could get down safely was he saw a snow chute, so he dropped his backpack and and watched it, and it slid down, you know, 100 yards, and then kind of ended up on this grass. And he's told his wife, he said, I'll go first, then I'll catch you at the bottom. And he goes and just sends it. And he like was okay. And then she just went right behind him, sliding on her ass down this snow chute. And like, you know, there's a cliff on the other end of this thing. And it's just fascinating. And I think a lot of these stories come from, for me, same thing with spearfishing. I'm at the end of a breath hold. If I see a trophy fish at the end of my breath hold, I'm not thinking about how much oxygen I do or don't have. I am tunnel vision. I, I have all the time in the world. But that's when you get yourself into trouble is like um, I've seen it actually on Meat Eater, uh, Giannis and and um, no, not Giannis. Steve was with his brother in Alaska and they were like going for something. And at one point he's like, let's pre-, Steve goes to his brother, he goes, let's pretend that sheep doesn't exist. How do we get out of here right now? And his brother was like, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's insane when you have a trophy in front of you like that, what you're willing to do and what you're willing to ignore to be successful. And it's it's. Hopefully I matured from it. And as I get older, you, you start to think about that. Like, what's this really worth? You know, yeah. is, is it worth not ever being able to come out here again, injuring yourself so badly that your hunting career is done, you know, that mm-hmm. you can't support your family on and on. Like it was stupid. It, there's no doubt it was dumb, but I'm glad I made it through it. And, you know, hopefully came out all the wiser for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Paul Navarre, he's uh, 82, still solo hunting. I think he took 15 animals last year. He, uh, he's kind of the reason why I'm like, let's be smart about this. Let's have some longevity. I'm 33. If I could do this for 50 years, that's not going to come through luck. That's going to come through intention, you know? Exactly. It's a very wise point. Well, Fred, it's been great chatting with you, man. You really are an inspiration. I, re- I, I want to step my photography up. I want to step my, my article writing up. I want to hunt more species. Like You've got me stoked, man. So I wish you luck with your coos deer. I hope you find the big guy and get him in January. Um, and I really wish you luck for this whole season. I thank you for spending some time with us. And if there's anything you want to point the people to, your website, your Instagram, Sage and Breaker, let's do that. And then I'll put it in the show notes so they can always click through to those things. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, on the photography end of things, I did write a bunch of articles on that fredbone.com on my blog, just trying to help, you know, if some guys are kind of towards beginners and, you know, pointing in them in some good directions on what to do when they're out there in the field to be able to capture these moments. So if you want to check that out, if it's helpful to you, you know, great. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, just check me out on Instagram, just Fred Bohm and, you know, feel free to reach out and really appreciate you having me on Jake. And uh, yeah, thanks, man. Awesome, Fred. Well, you have a great one. I hope to uh, see you next time you're up in Colorado. Sounds good, man. Take care. Later.